0: Hi everyone. Welcome back. Episode 20. We have made it to episode 20 of Podcast Royal. How are you, Jessica? How was your Easter? It was so good. I went out of town
1: and saw family. Uh, We had great weather. We went to church and ate all the amazing food it was so awesome. Um I, I don't know, I don't know if you do like traditional Easter food, but we always yeah. eat ham and yep, you know, ham. salads and casseroles and all the side dishes and everything. So it was really fun to be back home with family and, and to have a traditional Easter um lunch with everybody. So yeah, I texted
0: you and you and your mom were out getting Manny Petties, and I was like, I need a Manny petty of my own. So, yeah, Saturday was uh, just shopping and
1: Manny's and, and Petties, and that was fun too. So, um, it was really nice. How was your Easter?
0: It was so low key, but that's okay. And, you know, my church did. I go to a Methodist church here in Birmingham and they actually did something really cool. They rented out a high school football stadium and had everybody come out there for the Easter service because of course, right, the Easter service and the Christmas Eve service are the best attended of the whole year. And so they got the stadium and they um, socially distanced everyone. Now, my mom and I did not go because we still are on the end of the spectrum that's, you know, still being pretty cautious. I'm halfway vaccinated. So I have my first shot, I have my second shot next week. So my mom is fully vaccinated, but we just weren't quite ready yet. So we watched it online and just super low key. I'm I'm not, I don't have to have my holidays be a huge production, but Mm -hmm. I am ready to have a little pizzazz back in my holidays because my holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, now Easter have just been real, New Year's Eve, have just been very low-key this past year.
1: Yeah, don't you remember the days where we used to have parties for things, <laughs> like tailgate parties, yeah. and, um, you know, all the little holidays, celebrating stuff, I miss all of that, so um, hopefully, hopefully before the end of the year, we'll be back to, to doing fun stuff like that.
0: I hope so. It would be great to do a big shindig for the 4th of July. That would be that would be great. But definitely Thanksgiving. Definitely Thanksgiving. So, okay, I'm going to do our normal top of the episode spiel. Before we get started, follow us on Instagram at podcast royal. Email us at hello royal at gmail.com. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. My heart skips a beat every time we get a new rating, especially if it's five star. So, We're going to go into the Royal Rundown. We have a super light Royal Rundown this week, which to be totally honest with you, I am thankful for. So first I wanted to follow up on something I mentioned last week. The documentary dropping on Netflix on Sunday, April 11th, Diana, the interview that shook the world is a documentary about the Martin Bashir panorama interview. This documentary drop is extremely well-timed, which I'm sure is on purpose on Netflix considering Harry and Meghan's recent sit down with Oprah and news that recently broke actually just this week that Bashir did convince Diana to do this interview by supplying her with fake abortion papers. How messed up is that? Alleging Tiggy Leg Bork, who was William and Harry's nanny, had an abortion after becoming pregnant by Charles, which of course was not true. Um, I remember reading about this story when Diana confronted Tiggy and said, sorry about the baby. And everybody thought that Diana was just going crazy because they're, you know, Charles and Tiggy did not have an affair. But now we see, of course, Diana wasn't crazy. It's because she was fed lies to get her so incensed and angry that she would go on camera and talk about deep personal issues. And of course that interview was ultimately the catalyst that broke up their marriage. So, I mean, they were already separated. They separated in 1992, but after the panorama interview aired in 1995, the queen said, that's it, get a divorce. And so they got divorced in 1996. So anyway, make sure to tune into the documentary when it drops on Sunday. I'm sure we will discuss it on the podcast next week. So I was also um, really touched to see Beatrice narrate a new children's book about dyslexia called Extraordinary People by Kate Griggs. Beatrice too has dyslexia and she said, quote, it's no secret that I struggled with my dyslexia as a child and often even wished it away. But now I see it as a tremendous gift and I want every dyslexic child to know that they too can tap into their dyslexic strengths. What you may not know about me is that I am made by dyslexia, which was a bit of a struggle when I was at school, but now thanks to all the practice and a lot of support, I feel so lucky to be made by dyslexia and working with some incredible organizations who are there to support you on your journey to find out what your superpower is." So way to go, Beatrice. It just also reminds me of her sister Eugenie, who if you'll remember when she got married to Jack in October, 2018, She wore a wedding dress, and we're going to talk about wedding dresses on the podcast next week. She wore a wedding dress with a very low back to show off her scoliosis scars. And so these two women are really just embracing what some might say is a weakness and saying, look, this is actually a strength. I'm going to own it. And I'm not only going to own it, but I'm going to make other people who might have had scoliosis scars or dyslexia feel that they matter too. So I loved that. Okay. Breaking news today, we're recording this the evening of Tuesday, April 6th, so it came out today our first glimpse of Harry and Meghan's Netflix content offerings. The couple announced today, which is Tuesday, April 6th, that Archwell Productions is creating a docu-series for the streaming platform called Heart of Invictus, referring of course to the Invictus games which Harry founded in 2014. The series will follow athletes as they prepare for the next Invictus Games in The Hague, Netherlands, which the Invictus Games was, of course, canceled in 2020 and 2021. So this will be in 2022. Please, God, don't cancel anything else COVID. Harry said in a statement, quote, since the very first Invictus Games back in 2014, we knew that each competitor would contribute in their own exceptional way to a mosaic of resilience, determination, And resolve. This series will give communities around the world a window into the moving and uplifting stories of these competitors on their path to the Netherlands next year. And Prince Harry himself will appear on camera. So Jessica, what did what do you think of Archewell Productions first offering?
1: I'm actually really excited about this. It sounds like a really great um series that they're doing and I'll definitely watch what about you
0: oh of course you know you know I will I eat up any royal content with a spoon I mean on Sunday it's like literally on my calendar to watch that documentary (laughs) on Netflix so yeah I can't wait and you know I I obviously, this is the first of many, but I just can't wait to see what's next. And so what I wonder, you know, this is focusing on an aspect of Harry's charitable life. So I wonder if Megan's next, if we're going to go to SmartWorks and go, you know, behind the scenes of SmartWorks or Mayhew or one of her other organizations that she supports. So I love it. So that is it for the Royal Rundown this week. That has to be a record of the shortest Mm -hmm. Royal Rundown. Just Not a whole lot, and I'm okay with that. Like after the past month, six weeks, I am okay with a short Royal rundown. But I did wanna hop into segment two and I'm calling segment two, tis the season. So springtime is a busy time to be a Royal. For blood Royals, it is birthday season. I am sure that many of our listeners have birthdays in this season as well. Jessica and I do not. Jessica is a January baby, I'm a September baby. There's something in the water at Balmoral in the months of July and August because there is a boatload of birthdays in April and May. So from April 21st to May 15th, which is just a little over three weeks, there are five birthdays celebrated amongst the queen's direct blood lineage. The queen's direct blood lineage only consists of 23 people. The queen herself, her four children, her eight grandchildren, her 10, soon to be 11, great-grandchildren. And there is a chance, of course, that the new Sussex baby could be born from April 21st to May 15th. Megan said early summer, and that's not really early summer, but you never know. So basically 25% of the blood royals are born within three weeks of each other. So this is the season celebrations so they are the queen herself who was born on april 21st 1926 prince louis son of william and kate born april 23rd 2018 princess charlotte son of william or son da- i can't speak today daughter of william and kate born may 2nd 2015 and archie mountbatten windsor son of harry and Meghan, born may 6th 2019 and the Queen's granddaughter, Zara Phillips Tyndall, who is the daughter of Princess Anne and Mark Phillips, born May 15th, 1981. So, did you have any idea, Jessica, that there were so many blood royals born in this time period? Well, I did. I, I knew there were a
1: lot of birthdays in that time period, but I had never laid it out like that. So yes and no. I, I feel like I hear April and May a lot when we talk about royal birthdays. But I mean, that's, yeah, that's a list. I don't know what's going on at Balmoral,
0: but- Something's going on at Balmoral, everybody. And so also <laughs> it's it not only birthdays, but it's high time amongst the male blood royals specifically to get married if you are a, I'm, I feel like such a geek, like I, only I would sit here and and you would probably do this too, but I only, I would sit here and like calculate percentages of royals that got married and were born in certain times of year, but here we are. Um, I'm sure our listeners, there's some of you out there that are interested in this too, or at least I hope so. So if you are a male member of the queen's direct blood lineage and you have married, so you've gotten married, The number 23 shrinks all the way down to six for this category. Five of the six men or 83%, that is huge, chose to get married in the spring. Like I said, either I'm really cool for figuring this out and finding it utterly interesting or I need more hobbies. So Mm -hmm. get this, Charles married Camilla on April 9th, 2005, William married Kate on April 29th, 2011. Peter Phillips, who is Princess Anne's son, married Autumn Kelly on May 17th, 2008. Harry married Meghan on May 19, 2018. And Prince Edward, of course, the Queen's youngest son, married Sophie Reese Jones on June 19, 1999. And here is another twist. All but William and Kate's weddings were held at St. George's Chapel. It must be the de rigueur thing if you're having a spring wedding to marry there. Who knows where William and Kate would have chosen to marry had their wedding not been the state affair that it was. There's no way that St. George's Chapel could have held all of their guests. Instead, they married at Westminster Abbey, which previously, of course, had a negative connotation for William because that's where the funeral of his mother, Princess Diana, was held in 1997. So also another little fun fact, even the Queen's parents, Prince Albert, Duke of York, who became King George VI upon his ascension, Married Lady Elizabeth Bowes-Lyon, better known in later years as the Queen Mother, on April 26, 1923. Their first daughter, Elizabeth, was born almost three years to the day later. Springtime means ringtime, I guess. So the only male blood royal to not marry in the spring was Prince Andrew who married Sarah Ferguson on July 23rd 1986 back when July weddings were a thing for the royals Charles and Diana married on July 29th 1981 and set the trend so that being said if you're a royal you better get your baby gifts and your wedding gifts ready because it's going to be a busy season for you maybe it's because the weather is beautiful in London right now or because no one has yet departed for Balmoral, or because it's just one big coincidence, but springtime is the time to celebrate for the family. So I just thought that was cool. Like, do you do you find that interesting or am I just like such a nerd?
1: No, it is really interesting. And I do think um, it probably, I think you're right with the timing. I think it's just a great time of year. The weather is really nice and everyone is, close to London um, and it's just a great time to do that so I imagine it's not really a coincidence I'm sure there's some planning there but um, but yeah you know Princess Eugenie did the the what was it October Uh Um, so you know that was a little bit different Um, but I like I'm a spring girl everything is in bloom in spring it's my favorite season so um, if I were a royal I would definitely go with an April May wedding
0: Yeah. Spring is my favorite season as well. Fall very closely by fall, but I love the spring down here in Birmingham. It is gorgeous weather outside. If the pollen would stop being so annoying, I would live outside right now, but the pollen is really bad and my allergies are going crazy. Um, But it's just the best. I just love this time of year when winter is ending and just those first beautiful days of spring and just so much to look forward to so that shockingly is all I've got today so I'm going to hand it over to you my friend and I hear that you're going to take us on a tour of some of London's hottest restaurants. Yeah so I thought it would be fun today to explore some
1: of the hot spots around London that royals like to frequent um, or that they've been spotted visiting for whatever reason um, throughout before 2020, I suppose. (laughs) Um, So we'll hit a few. Now, I will say when I was doing the research, the list got quite long and there were some really interesting places and I couldn't fit everything on this list. So I've got it down to 10 places that we'll talk about today and um, we'll revisit this later on and I'll do a, a second list. But I thought it would be really fun because if you do ever plan to visit London if you don't live there and you are planning your trip and looking for some restaurants or places to try and you're a royal watcher and you want to go somewhere where royals have been
0: spotted this is a really great list to get you started so and I love to eat so I'm excited here Jessica and I before we started recording we have decided and listeners you can hold us to this that we are going to London together in 2022 so we'll have to take this list with us
1: absolutely yeah we'll have to document um where we stop and uh, share it on instagram yes so okay we'll get started um we'll just jump right in here the first place is called mahiki have you heard of this rachel i haven't
0: but it sounds fun what uh, well you'll tell us what Is, is food called a genre What type of food is there? (laughs) So Mahiki
1: is known as London's legendary tiki paradise. Um, This spot was frequented by William and Catherine before the days of kids. It's both a club and a restaurant with a tropical vibe. So they serve food and beverages that really make you feel like you're on vacation. Um, it's, it looked like, according to their website, there's quite a lot going on there. So upstairs, you'll find the Lanai Lounge, which opens at 6 p.m. in the evenings, and it really looks like a tiki bar on a tropical island. On the website, I saw photos of people partying in Hawaiian leis and beads. There were sparklers attached to wine bottles. People were doing the limbo. Tons of rattan furniture and serious mood lighting. So there's also an aloha party room and on the site, they call it a royal haunt, which I think is their way of saying royals have partied there. Yeah. And it opens at 10:30 p.m. on Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays and they claim it's where the real Mahiki magic happens and also the mahiki has a karaoke beach hut which looks like maybe you can rent it out for private parties i'm not really sure but the site does say it's just for you and 25 of, fab- of your fabulous friends so um that sounds really fun too and a few menu items at mahiki include sushi poke bowls gyoza sweet potato fries um, and beverages like pina coladas So I checked out the, um, a la carte menu and that's where I pulled those items. And it looks like most things range from about five to 10 pounds. So, um, fairly reasonable, a fun weekend kind of party spot. What do you think about that? Rachel, would you go there?
0: Oh yeah. But I'm just sitting here thinking about how I could pair sushi and sweet potato fries, (laughs) like (laughs) how, how wild that would be. So yeah, that sounds like so much fun.
1: I could eat sweet potato fries with just about anything. Yeah, I
0: love, I love sweet potato fries. That's the southerner in us.
1: (laughs) Okay, so number two on our list is called Bellamy's. Bellamy's is a favorite of Her Majesty. It's a French brasserie located in Mayfair, London. Um, It's a beautiful little dining spot. It boasts gorgeously set tables and lighting that creates an ambiance that you might expect when dining in style in Paris. Um, You know, think white linens, twinkling candles, fresh flowers, silver dinnerware. Um, There's several types of restaurants in France. So, you know, you've heard of like um, cafes, and, and, you know, different types of French names for various restaurants. So a brasserie is an informal restaurant with a large selection of drinks. Brasserie actually means brewery. So sort of imagine a brasserie is like a French version of a British pub, but maybe a little bit more upscale. A few things you might find on the menu at Bellamy's include lobster souffle, cream of parsnips, parsnip soup, foie gras, caviar, and steak tartare. They do recommend you get reservations if you want to dine here. And the prices range in the 15 to 30 pounds kind of range there. Uh, but you can go big and you can spend quite a bit on caviar if you aren't careful. So I've never um, had caviar and I, I'm ready to
0: to change that.
1: I tried it one time several years ago and it was okay. I, I liked it. But um, that definitely feels like something a little bit more like you might expect queen elizabeth yeah Yeah, that's
0: very i can't i can't quite see her majesty at uh what's the first place called mahiki mahiki yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't see her doing the limbo uh don't i don't think so but this place sounds more up her alley
1: (laughs) so number three is definitely on my list the next time i'm in london i am going here and it really sounds like I mean, just a great place. I feel like it's very millennial for some reason,
0: Uh, but it's called Bluebird Cafe. Have you heard of it? No, but I've only heard of the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, which I'm certain it's not the same.
1: So this Bluebird Cafe in London has been said to be Kate Middleton's favorite London spot. She's been seen dining here for lunch with Pippa, and she's also been spotted here on on dates with William. I think back before they were married, they they would go there. So it's located in Chelsea, London. It's got a fun, modern vibe with outdoor terrace dining. And you can go for brunch, lunch, afternoon tea, or dinner. If you are brunching, um, I checked out the menu. A few items that caught my eye were the Bluebirds full English breakfast, the vegan blueberry muffins, the avocado toast, and smoked salmon with scrambled eggs. You can also get, if you want to, Do something a little bit different than traditional breakfast. They've got um, lobster, ribeye, a vegan cheeseburger, charcuterie, crudité, and an almond tart. Um, So if you go for afternoon tea, you can choose between a selection of loose leaf teas, and you can also order sandwiches, scones, macaroons, and other desserts. And when I looked at the menu, it looks like several of the items are Between 10 to 15 pounds, um, unless you get something from the barbecue, like king prawns, I think that goes for about 40 pounds, Mm -hmm. Um, and the lobster is listed at 58 pounds, so definitely a little bit more pricey, but um, that is on my list of places to try next time I'm in London.
0: Absolutely, so uh, we're recording this at like 6.30, right around dinner time, and (laughs) now my stomach is growling, (laughs) and I'm dying to go to London even more.
1: (laughs) Okay, so the next spot is really fun. Um, I've got a lot of info on it. It's called the Goring Hotel. Have you heard of it, Rachel? Yes, I have heard of this. I thought you had. So royals have spent a pretty penny at the Goring through the years. Um, Her Majesty hosts a Christmas lunch for her staff every year here. And the Duchess of Cambridge actually stayed at this hotel the night before her wedding to Prince William. Yeah, that's probably where I've heard of it. Probably so. According to, I think it was country and townhouse website, um, a night at the Goring goes for more than 7,500 pounds. Wow. Yeah, quite a luxury hotel. So it was a favorite spot of Queen Mary for tea. And Kate has also been seen having afternoon tea at the Gordon um, another little fun fact here, the kitchen um, at the Goring actually baked Prince Charles christening cake many years ago. Okay. And Prince Harry actually fell from its terrace while partying there in his single days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> First, I thought you were going to say fell when he was a child, but then I'm like, no, there were many, many years when Harry was not sober a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: There's also been a rumor going around for years that there's a secret tunnel under the Goring that leads to Buckingham Palace. Um, yeah. Of course, we don't know if that's true, but um, I could see it being a possibility. Apparently, Buckingham Palace is located just around
0: the corner from the hotel. Okay. Well, so, I, so what you're saying is we aren't going to be staying at the Goring. We I mean, a little out of our price range. You know,
1: I mean, I'll make some calls to the palace, <laughs> and see what I can do.
0: <laughs> we'll sneak in through the underground tunnel.
1: The website uh describes the dining room as being bathed in natural light by day and sumptuously aglow with Swarovski chandeliers at night. Wow. It's located in Belgravia, London, um and has a very classic historic feeling. I mean, it's it gives like luxury hotel vibes, old old classic hotel. It's 108 years old and it's won quite a few awards over the years, including uh, the dining room, which has a Michelin star. So if you dine at the Goring, you can expect to enjoy dishes like beef wellington, turkey with parsnips and cranberry, and halibut with cauliflower and pickled grapes. Uh, Prices are a little bit higher than what we've discussed uh, among the others so far. So the average price for a meal here is between 30 and 40 pounds.
0: That's really not that bad, all told. Oh, yeah. I mean, if
1: you're on vacation and you want to splurge in a nice spot, um, definitely worth it for a Michelin star restaurant, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So next on the list is a place called Bunga Bunga.
0: I've heard of this too, but I don't know why. Okay. Know there's a podcast called that, but I don't know if they have anything to do with each other. Um, Yeah, so this
1: Italian-style dining spot not only serves pizza, but it has really great entertainment. Um, So there are two locations. Um, There's one in Battersea and one in Covent Garden. Battersea says it has singing in the shower karaoke, while Covent Garden says it offers spectacular live entertainment. Um, And it is, this restaurant is a self-proclaimed one-stop party shop. So Believe it or not, you can find Royals, karaoke, and pizza all in one place.
0: I mean, I'm here for it.
1: I'm there. I'm there. So the owner of this fun spot is a friend of Prince Harry's, Princess Eugenie's, and Pippa Matthews, which means um, all of these people have been spotted at Bunga Bunga on multiple occasions. Um, Menu items include La Bella Cellar Pizza with mozzarella, ham, and mushroom a Goliath pizza with mozzarella, courgette, aubergine, peppers, and artichoke, limoncello, tiramisu, and baked aubergine with mozzarella, basil, and focaccia. And you'll also find polenta chips, wild boar sausage, and grilled veggies. Um, And okay, real quick for our listeners, I I don't know how familiar, especially Americans, are with with terms in in the UK, but... um, aubergine is eggplant that's what they call eggplant in the in the uk and then courgette is zucchini so if i reference any of that that's what i'm talking about but um menu items here run for on an average about 12 pounds so not bad at all but seems like a really fun place to go absolutely all right so next on the list is byron burgers have you heard of this one nope This is a favorite of Prince Harry's, um, as you may have guessed, but uh, some of the fun menu items include the B-Rex burger, which includes American cheese, bacon, jalapenos, deep fried onion ring, mayo, pickles, onions, and barbecue sauce. Um, Another one of the options is the clucky, which is buttermilk fried chicken, smashed avocado, sriracha mayo, pickled red onions. Um, pickles and lettuce uh, the smoky is another option it is it has smoky pancetta cheddar crispy onions smoked chili barbecue sauce sliced pickles and lettuce um, and then aside from burgers you can also find collie nuggets with vegan truffle cheese sauce and shakes which i thought was really fun um, they do have an instagram so go check it out because the food looks really good but the shake flavors include salted caramel, Oreo, and classics like vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. And you can even get a little wild and make it a hard shake by adding a little bourbon or rum to your beverage. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, Menu items here go between 10 and 15 pounds, uh, but definitely worth uh, stopping by and getting something way more upscale than your average drive-thru burger.
0: Y'all, my stomach is rumbling (laughs) (laughs) all All sounds so good
1: Uh, i can't meet you in london tonight for dinner but uh these are honestly so okay for our listeners something that i love to do is look up really cool restaurants online check out their menu items and try to make them at home um so worth it especially right now if you can't travel or or go try a new place I know a lot of these restaurants in London have been closed but they're I think slating reopening around the early summer months or around May so not too far away but in the meantime see if you can make some at home and share a picture with us or tell us about it
0: yeah and also if you've ever if you're in London or if you've been to London and you've been to any of these spots let us know and let us know your experience
1: absolutely so the next one on our list um I'm gonna guess none of our listeners have have been here but it's the Arts Club or do you know this one Rachel? I don't. Okay so the Arts Club was founded in 1863 as a men's only haven for people with professional or amateur relationships with the arts literature or sciences. Is so it pre- no men only? So that's a really good question. I didn't really find that specification on the website i'm not sure if the members have to be men but they can bring female guests or if it's open to male and female i I don't know that okay um and yeah there is a membership here so if you desire to be a member of this club you'll have to be at least 30 years old and open to full access and privileges of the club whatever that means um There is a $2,000 or I'm sorry, a 2,000 pound joining fee, and then an annual membership of 2,500 pounds. So the site says the principal areas of interest among the current members include art, architecture, fashion, film, literature, music, performance, photography, science, theater, and TV media. If you do get your membership approved, you can dine there, and I would love to share some menu items with our listeners, but the site actually requires you to enter your login information in (laughs) order to view the menu. You can't even see the menu. It's so exciting. But I can tell you there is a dress code, as you may imagine, so we'll go over that really quick. The site does clarify specifics on attire. Jeans must not be torn or scruffy. Sneakers must be clean and worn with sufficiently smart attire. The site says, if you would wear them to the gym, don't wear them to the arts club. I can't even believe they let people wear jeans and sneakers in this place. It sounds very fancy. I mean, I'm thinking it's got to be really like, Expensive, nice uh, jeans and sneakers, but baseball cats and beanies are a no-go. Only elegant hats like a fedora are welcome, but still discouraged in the dining room. (laughs) Other items not permitted include a t-shirt, shorts, flip-flops, and polo shirts with logos or numbers. And they go on to say that even if you technically comply with the dress code, but still don't look sufficiently well presented, you may be refused entry. Wow. So Charles Dickens was a founding member of this club. Um, And a few more little items. There's a brasserie and a nightclub called Club Nouveau. And there are 16 hotel rooms only to be used by members and their guests. Famous people who have been spotted at the club include Princess Eugenie, Princess Beatrice, Prince Harry, David and Victoria Beckham, Jay-Z and Beyonce, and Gwyneth Paltrow. That's so, a pretty star-studded roster right there. Yeah, I mean, if you want to rub elbows with the Royals and the celebrities, um, you've got to find a way to join this club and be a member. So it's it's pretty exclusive. Wow. All right, so we're coming down to the end of our list here. The next spot is Don Lenoir. Have you heard of this one? I have not. Okay, this is a really cool and interesting. Um, it's been rumored that Will and Kate used to have date nights at Don Lenoir. Um, so the interesting thing about this place is it is not your normal dining experience. Um, they do a little something referred to as dark dining. It was founded in Paris, Um, so as you might have guessed, uh, when you decide to eat here, it's done completely in the dark.
0: Like completely in the dark or by candlelight? Completely in the dark. Okay, so I spill food on myself in the, like, broad daylight. (laughs) I would (laughs) walk out of there with food all over myself. It doesn't matter because no one can see it. Well, that's true until you get out of the place, and they're like, what just happened to you?
1: (laughs) Well, at Don Lenoir, you are seated next to strangers for the evening and your meal consists of appetizers, entrees, desserts, and wine. So the thought process can, uh, behind this um, is that by turning down the light, our other senses become really heightened. So you can experience smells, flavors, and even other people you know in your company a lot more richly than you would if you had all of the distractions going on around you. Um, but I was thinking about this and I was like, wow, this gives a whole new meaning to a blind date.
0: Uh, yeah, no kidding. And like, can you, I mean, this to- makes total sense that um, William and Kate would, would like this place because they can, it's one of the few places they can go in and just be anybody else, you know, That's and, what I thought. you could yeah. be down next to them and not know it. Yeah. You could be sitting next to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and have no idea. <laughs> Unless you know their voices, but maybe, you know, I don't know. Right,
1: right. So another point about this restaurant is it's not totally just for fun. Um, it's also for a good cause. Typically, diners are served by blind or visually impaired weight staff. Oh, and wow. a okay. of, yeah, a portion of their profits go to support various charities. And I actually think there are several locations uh, when I looked online. So it looked like there was a spot in New York City. Um, And if so, you don't necessarily have to go to London to check it out and have the experience. Uh, But definitely, yeah, listeners, look and see if there's one near you. Um, But when you arrive, guests are instructed to lock their belongings in a locker before entering the dark room. Um, That way you don't have your phone or light up watches or anything. And then menus are categorized by meat, seafood, vegetarian, and surprise. Um, So Given it started in Paris, most of the dishes are French-inspired food, but you don't really know what you're getting. Um, you kind of give them a category, and they bring it out, and then you get to explore the tastes and, and figure out what you've been served on your own. Um, but I will say I would recommend thinking hard about going here if you are super claustrophobic or you have any anxiety around being in the dark, because I feel like, um, you know, a three-course meal in the complete dark could be a struggle for for some people, so... Yeah. But I would definitely give that place a try. What do you think?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for a good like experience with my, you know, with with my dinner. And I mean, I love that it supports, you know, such a great cause. Right.
1: Number 10 is the Ivy. Um, So Queen Elizabeth was seen dining at the Ivy in. 2017 for a friend's birthday and i think she's been here a few other times if i'm not mistaken um the ivy is a swanky art deco style restaurant in central london they serve classic and modern british cuisine and then they do a lot of asian inspired dishes so the website does say um, most people who come in here are dressed for special celebrations. And for that reason, they ask us to kind of follow a smart, casual style and, and to be respectful that, you know, it, it is kind of an upscale place and they want your attire to match that. I don't know that they are quite as detailed on their dress code as the um, arts club, but um, you should probably get uh, reservations if you dine here. It did say on the website you can dine at the bar without reservations, so that may be an option if you're kind of going here on a whim, but There are menu changes with the seasons so you can expect something new and fresh when you visit um i pulled up the menu online and a few of the items that i saw included bang bang chicken crispy duck and watermelon salad thai baked sea bass shepherd's pie massaman curry fish and chips roasted devonshire chicken venison loin cauliflower gratin and parmesan fried courgettes so that all sounds absolutely fabulous to me. Um, I would totally be
0: up for eating there. What about you, Rachel? Oh, look, at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm here for every single one of these places. <laughs> okay, yeah, so we do have a bonus on here. I forgot I had added
1: this one. Um, the last place on the list is Dean Street Townhouse. So any guesses on why this restaurant made the list, Rachel?
0: I have no idea. I've never heard of it.
1: I'm actually really surprised. So this is where uh, Harry and Megan had their first date. Oh, okay. I thought that was Soho House. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, so I think Soho House is part of Dean Street Townhouse. Okay, House, okay. okay. Because I saw that on the website and it's, Okay, so just a little bit about this. Um, it's actually Dean Street townhouse is actually two Georgian style homes from the 1700s that make up the restaurant. Um, I don't know if when may we need to dig into this one a little bit because I don't know if Soho house is like within Dean Street Townhouse. But the website that I that I looked at, it referenced Soho House and Dean Street as being the place that they had their first date. So we'll, yeah. we'll go back and fact check that and make sure. And if I've got it wrong, we'll correct it on the next episode. But um, this place looked really good. Um, they serve a lot of classic British food, which to me sounds like a place that you might wanna take an American on a first date. Um, but they do offer brunch on the weekends. Um, The menu looked fabulous. Uh, A few items included Sunday roast with Yorkshire pudding, fish and chips, a plant-based cheeseburger, full English breakfast, eggs Florentine, and sticky toffee pudding. Um, And you can go there at other times during the day and order from their regular menu. Um, A few dishes from the regular menu are some repeats from above as well as a porterhouse steak monkfish and prawn curry, lemon drizzle cake, sausage rolls, and a selection of British cheeses. Um, So the look and feel of this place really gave me colonial American vibes. Um, Sort of seemed like the type of restaurant that you might find in D.C. or New England. Um, Just really kind of classic um, 1700s style um, old home kind of vibes and the prices are pretty reasonable it looked like dishes were somewhere in the 15 to 20 pound range which surprisingly has been the average um I think I would say in most of these restaurants that we've talked about today yeah, every place is pretty affordable yeah so um I don't know that place looks great and like I said I'll double check and um and make sure that that um
0: what what the relationship to that place in Soho House is because yeah I'd be interested interested to know that so do you want to know what I think is the sweetest most thoughtful detail that Megan did on her wedding day to honor their first date wherever it was Soho house or whatever Um, she wore apparently wore a blue dress to their first date and for her something blue On her wedding day, she sewed fabric from that dress into her wedding dress. Is that not so? So every time I go on a first date, I wear blue because I'm like someday it's going to be, (laughs) it's going to be the right person. And then I'll, I'll copy Megan's sweet, sentimental gesture. I thought, I just think stuff like that is lovely. That is really, um, that's a really, really cool sentimental thing that she did. I like that. And I didn't even mean to do this, but that's a perfect segue into next week on the podcast because Kate and William's 10th wedding anniversary is coming up on April 29th. We're going to do a deep, deep, deep dive on the modern and the royal wedding dresses of the modern age, everyone from the queen and Margaret to Beatrice and Eugenie. So I can't wait. That will be next week.
1: Awesome. Um, I'm really excited about that. And we'll have a lot of content um, on weddings next week that our listeners should get really excited about. So um, I wanted to just mention really quickly while you were talking, I was looking this up. Um, I'm wondering if Dean Street Townhouse, I looked at their website. It seems like maybe that's so there are, there, it, it's like sort of like a hotel or bed and breakfast type thing. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the um, the townhouse is the hotel part and the restaurant at the townhouse is Soho House. Okay. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's a little confusing on the website. That well, I matter.
0: probably know too much about this, but if you'll remember, um, Harry and Megan went, they met and then they went on like a date the night after too so I don't know we'll we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit but um, regardless every place that you mentioned sounds incredible so I hope you keep that list for our London trip because I want to go everywhere absolutely well is that all you have my friend that's all I've got for today now I'm starving so <laughs> I'm about to go make dinner so Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into episode 20. I can't believe we're at episode 20 of Podcast Royal. We will chat with you, lovely friends, next week, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.